the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions. All you need to do is call us with those questions. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free by dialing 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, it's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Um, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the hands-free feature of your phone and the free KSLR mobile app. There's just one button you got to push. It says call now. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Let me begin at the top of the program today by asking you to forgive me for my voice uh, after church yesterday, and I have no reason, uh, I wasn't, it didn't feel like anything was coming on, but I got hit last night with a really bad head cold, and uh, I don't have much voice to begin with, so uh, my producer's trying to juice me a little bit on the volume, and I'm going to try to keep from coughing or sneezing while we're in the process of this program, so... Uh, I am sorry. I know how irritating it is sometimes to listen to somebody who who has a voice like the one you're listening to now. Uh, it would be better if you would call with questions. That way I wouldn't have to talk quite as much. Uh, but we're here to take your calls and questions. Uh, tonight, uh, because it's Monday night, we have our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies going on. Uh, Dr. Sheba Paley will be teaching the ladies at 7 o'clock. They are in the book of Judges. Uh, Pastor Ken will be teaching the men's study. And then, of course, we have our high school study and our junior high school studies going on at the same time. So you can make it a family affair. Hope you had a great time in church yesterday. I hope the Lord... Uh, was really moving and people got saved. We had some people get saved here yesterday, uh, which is always what we're praying for when we get here. Um, We're in a difficult portion of Scripture. We're in Luke 21. And Luke 21 opens and Jesus has about 48 hours left to live. So things are getting really, really serious as we get closer and closer to the cross. And these are difficult studies. They really, really make you check your heart. Okay, let's get to some questions, and we'll see we wait any phone calls. The first question comes from, um, hold on here, from Carol. Oh, Carol, I'm sorry. She says, Pastor, on another shooting today in Oklahoma, I am losing hope. Carol, a couple of things that are really important for us. We don't lose hope. We always have hope. Now, I, I understand how bad things are. There was another... Uh, mass shooting in Fresno, California uh, over the weekend. I mean, this is something that we've got to be prepared for. We've got to use these incidents as an opportunity to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're not going to get better. Now, Carol, you said you're losing hope, but that's because your hope 
is in a world that you hope will be peaceful, a world that you hope will be just and fair. That's not what we're going to have here. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said about the time that we live in right now. This is prophetic of the time that we live right now. This was the letter to Timothy, the second letter. This is Paul's most personal of all of his letters. He's preparing Timothy for his eventual death, his, his near death. And he says, Tim, you got to be ready. And here's why. He says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying, but denying its power. And then we're told to have nothing to do with them. Now, the, the, the caveat here is that we're supposed to, to share the gospel with people who are hurting. You see, when we run across difficult uh, circumstances, people going through really, really heartbreaking times, Carol, we're the only ones that have hope. We're the only ones that can give them hope. But it can't be because our hope isn't that things are going to get better here. That's not what the Word of God says. Things are going to get worse. That means we've got to look at our everyday life sort of like a, an active duty station. You know, we live in a military community and people get their orders all the time. We have a, a young man who is like a son to me. And uh, he, he's been in the reserve, uh, in the Navy, and, and suddenly he gets active duty orders to go to, to Africa. Um, he had to be prepared. He had to be ready. Well, in the same way, we've got those active duty orders, marching orders. And that is to bring hope to the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, and the confused. So, Carol, yeah, there's going to be more of this. You know, one of the things in that passage of Scripture that I just read to you is uh, Paul saying that um, people will be disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy. We're living in a time where we're seeing these young people, and I know nothing about the shooter in Oklahoma today. It was a Walmart. It wasn't a, a, a similar situation to the others except that people died again unnecessarily. But we see all of these young people who are doing these terrible, terrible things because they are so lost. They've been raised without God. They truly have no hope. So, Carol, your job and mine is to give people hope. So don't despair. And then through you to others, and every day we see these things happening, we're one day closer to the return of Jesus. I always tell our church here, Carol, to look up instead of look out. And I think our initial response is always to look out at our circumstances and see all the things that are going on around us. We live in a very, very difficult and painful time. And we've got to accept the challenge as believers to spread this message of hope. And when you do that, Carol, the Holy Spirit will take over and your hopelessness will be turned into hope because what you're going to end up seeing is people receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You see, we can't change the world. These things are going to happen, but we can change individual people by declaring this wonderful gospel of grace. And we've got to be very committed to doing it in a world that is going uh, not to be receptive to it. But we've got to keep on. We've got to stand firm to the end because that's the job, the assignment that God has given us. One more comment I'll make, uh, Carol. Read Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, God says that we are where we are at the time in history we are by his very direct plan. 
we have been placed here, not by accident. You know, we say things like, well, if I was born earlier, if I was born later, we're born exactly when God wanted us to. That means we are uniquely equipped for the work that God has called us to do. And all of this darkness, Carol, all of it, should indicate to us how badly light is needed. Jesus said to us to let our light so shine before men that they see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Jesus is coming soon, Carol. And we need to be ready. We need to be on duty. I just realized that probably wasn't super hopeful, Carol, but I hope it gives you another perspective. Here is a question from Chad. He says, Pastor Ron, what do you think should be the main focus of a church in the perfect will of God? Chad, I have really, really strong opinions on this. Now, when you talk about the main focus, that doesn't exclude others. But the main focus should always be the Word of God. The Word of God is the power of God unto salvation. The Word of God teaches us how to live in this present age and in a time that Carol just described was causing her to lose hope. So the the main focus of every church ought to be the Word of God. And if you're in a church that isn't teaching the Word, and I don't mean preaching it. I don't mean telling stories about it. I don't mean holding it in their hand and shaking it in the air. I mean teaching it. Line upon line. Chapter after chapter. That has to be the main focus because it's the Word of God which causes change in the people of God. You know, Chad, I think sometimes we look out at the world that we live in and and we lose sight of the church's focus. The primary focus of the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. When we do evangelistic outreaches or or, or we do events, you know, th- those are the times that we reach people outside the church. But every week, for us, it's Wednesday night, it's Friday night, it's three services on Sunday. Every week, we teach the Bible. And in the process of teaching the Bible, the people of God are equipped to do the work that God has called them to do. Some of them have no idea what that work is. But as they learn about Jesus, as they learn about the Word of God, as they grow in the knowledge of the will of God for their lives, God is doing a work of preparing, of equipping them for work that is essential to the time that we live in. And so it's got to be the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Now, obviously, Chad, churches should be places where unbelievers are comfortable, where people walk in and they instantly feel loved. Church needs to be a, a, a house of prayer. Church needs to be a place where fellowship is sweet and the worship of God is tender. But the Apostles' Doctrine, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, indicates very clearly that the early church, that's the model that God gave us, they're the ones that established the primacy of the Word. The Apostles' Doctrine, we held on to, and the Greek word is very strong, it's like they clung to and wouldn't let go of, the Apostles' Doctrine. They were eager to be taught. And in the first century, in the church, it wasn't a go-to-one-service kind of thing. It was it was uh, an all-day celebration. That's where the people were together in Christ. And I think nothing has changed, Chad. That's still the model that God gave for us. And uh, the, the focus on the Bible, the Word of God, is the main focus for a church that is in his perfect will. Let me say this. Uh, I've been doing this here at Calvary Chapel for 24 and a half, almost now 25 years. It'll be, that's well, not almost, it's 24 and a half years. And um, it's not the way I teach the Bible. It's not my skill at teaching the Bible. It's simply standing up there week after week for all these years, doing the same thing, And every single good thing, Chad, every single good thing that's happened at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio has been as a result of people hearing the Word, learning it, and putting it into practice. 
then my role here at Calvary Chapel is no more significant than anybody else's role here at Calvary Chapel. I feel my role, my job is to stand up and teach them. And when I do that, God does amazing things. Amazing things. We've seen entire directions of people's lives change simply because as they're being taught, as their heart is being opened by the Holy Spirit, the Lord is giving them direction about what to do, um, what gifts they've been given by God, how to use those gifts for His glory. And when somebody learns that, well, it's not long before God starts speaking to their heart and directing and redirecting their steps. So it's really important to teach the Word. And unfortunately, Jed, we've got a church culture that would rather entertain people, um, short sermons, uh, keep them funny, keep them light, make people feel good, instead of just opening the Bible and teach the Word. We all want revival, but there will never be a revival until there is first a re-Bible among the people of God and in the Church of Jesus Christ. For the pastors who listen to this program, and we have many, make sure that that's what you're doing, teaching the Bible. It's not about how you teach it. It's not your presentation. It's your obedience combined with the power of God's Word, the supernatural power of God's Word, and wonderful things begin to happen. So, Chad, I hope that helps. 340-9585 if you have any calls and or for your live calls and if you have any questions. Um, Becky asked a question. Pastor Ron, how can I reconcile being saved by grace with Matthew 19... 17. Let me read it, Becky, and then I will answer the question. Jesus says to uh, the rich young ruler, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Well, Becky, there's a, a hermeneutic that you've got to understand here. Um, this is very Jewish in context. Remember that the rich young ruler was a man, a Jew, under law. Jesus himself was a Jew under law. And so we have to understand this in view of the law being the driving force in the Jewish life. Now, what was going on here is the rich young ruler, um, he seemed to have everything going for him. Um, it wasn't too awful long ago. We just did this study in in the Gospel of Luke. Um, the rich and ruler was young. Oh, how I'd love to be young again. Uh, he was rich. That was great. I mean, he had more than he needed. He was a person of influence. He was a ruler. I mean, it just we would look at him and think, boy, this guy's got everything. We'd be jealous of him. But clearly there was something in his heart that told him he was still missing. He asks earlier, what do I have to do to obtain eternal life. And there's no answer for that because you can't do that on your own. So when Jesus asked him, why do you ask me what is good? It was because Jews recognized that only God was good and the rich young ruler was coming to Jesus because he recognized that Jesus was in fact the Christ, the Messiah. And what Jesus is telling him, look, if you want to get to heaven without me, and by the way, this is the same emphasis on the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to get to heaven without me, then you've got to keep the commandments. Not just keep them, but in the Sermon on the Mount, you remember, Becky, he raises the stakes. You've got to keep not only the letter of the law, but you've got to keep the spirit behind the law. And so Jesus challenges this rich young ruler, if you want in your life, obey the commandments. And he was not truthful when he said, all these I have kept. He said, which ones? It's like, today we still want to choose which ones we keep. But the truth is, he was guilty of violating the commandments that dealt with his relationship vertically with God. And he was lost, and he knew it. Jesus will later tell him to sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. And he said that not because giving our money away is going to get us to heaven. 
He said it because this guy was possessed by his possessions. And because of the possessions he had, he was unwilling to do what Jesus told him to. Remember, he knew he was God, but he wouldn't take God's counsel. And the Bible says he walked away really, really sad. He was that close, Becky, that close, and still missed out. Very important. It's not, um, um, uh, there's no conflict between what he told him uh, to get to heaven without Jesus. We all need to keep the commandments perfectly, keep the law perfectly. But because we can't, that's why, of course, we need Jesus. So, um, no conflict between grace and this statement. The message of grace is spoken of by Jesus, the grace to come. This is the cup of the new covenant written in my blood. But the problem is, we don't know how to deal with grace. That's why we have the epistles, why we have the book of Acts. To see what grace looks like as this dispensation of grace is being poured out on the world. So, obey the commandments. For us as New Testament Christians, Becky, the good news is that we don't keep the commandments. We don't obey God to get saved. We obey God because we are saved and because we are grateful for all that he's done. So, Becky, I hope that answers your question satisfactorily. Five minutes left in this half of the program, 340-9585. Here is a question from Peter. He says, I know you say we don't have to keep the Sabbath, but sin is the transgression of the law, and the Sabbath is the law. Peter, I've said so many times, and obviously you've heard me answer this question repeatedly. Sin is the transgression law. But see, the law was only designed by God to point out our sin. And because we are no longer under law, because Jesus fulfilled the law for us, we're no longer bound by the requirements of the law. I, I'm, You know, it's a difficult thing. I get this question so many times, uh, and I know the people asking have heard the answers over and over and over. But why is it so difficult to understand that the law was given to Israel? It wasn't given to you, Peter. It wasn't given to me. The law was given to Israel over and over and over. The Holy Spirit goes out of his way to say, say to them, tell the Israelites. And over and over and over we have that. It doesn't say, say to Gentiles. The Gentiles are not under the law. In the first century church, those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, they were the ones who changed the official observance as the church would fellowship together to Sunday, the first day of the week, in honor of the resurrection of Christ. That was sort of the new victory day in the church. So that's what they did. Now you'll see in the book of Acts, they would often go to the synagogues. Remember, these are Jewish converts to Christianity. They would often go to synagogues. And Saturday or the seventh day is the day they would find them there. And they would proclaim Jesus Christ. That was a work day for them. It wasn't a day of rest. They weren't going there to observe the law. They were going there to win converts. But the Christians gathered together on the first day of the week. Paul writes to the Colossians. He also writes to the churches in Galatia. That we don't have to observe Sabbath days. Jesus is the fulfillment of our Sabbath rest. We rest in him. We don't get saved because we go to church. We're not getting points in heaven because we're worshiping on Saturday. We worship God in fellowship with others in honor of the hope that we have. And our hope, Peter, is found in the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. So you're right. Sin is the transgression of the law. And sin, Paul writes to the churches in Galatia, is a schoolmaster. It takes our hand, the law does, and leads us to the person of Jesus Christ because we can't keep the law. And I think the most troubling thing for me, Peter, about this question that I keep getting over and over and over is that these Sabbath keepers, 
aren't keeping the Sabbath at all. They may pick Saturday as a day of worship, but if you want to do that, there's nothing wrong with that. What's evil is insisting that others do so. But they may pick Saturday to worship, but they're ignoring all of the other Sabbath laws. The laws against lighting a fire. You go start your car, you're technically lighting a fire. That's a violation of Jewish law. After we go to church on Saturday, go out and eat, and somebody else has to work to make sure you get food. So I, I don't know why it's difficult for us to see past this. Hebrews 4, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. When we get that, then we have freedom. And I'll tell you something, um, Peter, my day of rest primarily is Saturday. That's the day I try to prepare my mind, I try to prepare my body for the work that's going to be done on Sunday. But I can promise you, coming here and teaching three services is not rest. It's wonderful, I love it, but it's not rest. You see, honoring the Lord with our service means every day is a work day, every day is a Sabbath, every day is an opportunity to declare the goodness of Jesus Christ. Hope that helps. We'd love to have some phone calls, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. This is the word to stand on for life, 340-9585. We will be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program 340-9585 if my monotone voice has put you to sleep by now nobody blames you here is a question from an anonymous female from our email inbox she says i went to a conference this weekend that had an Episcopal service. I felt uncomfortable. Please tell me what you know regarding this subject. I did not like what I found online. Anonymous, a couple of things. There, there are Christians who are uh, Episcopalians, um, but it's really hard to find one. Uh, the Episcopal Church is sort of the, the, the Western version or the United States version of the Anglican Church. Long, long, long ago, they deserted the Bible as the Word of God. Uh, they ordain females. They ordain homosexuals. Um, they, they've just lost their way. And uh, your uncomfort, or discomfort rather, was just the Holy Spirit letting you know that this wasn't um, something that was really centered on Jesus. It wasn't centered on the Word of God. It's, it's, it's more um, humanistic in approach. Again, um, I know some people go to the Episcopal Church who are wonderful, wonderful people, but there's certainly no emphasis on being born again. There's no emphasis on the power of the, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, it's, it's sort of more of a religious social club than anything else. And uh, one of the reasons I always warn people to check out who is behind conferences or events is this very reason. You're, you're going to go to something that isn't going to be true. Um, so it's just not. The Episcopal Church, uh, the Anglican Church, offshoots of the Catholic Church. Um, um, the Episcopal Church kept a lot of the Catholicism uh, in their service. Um, fortunately, and I say this um, without condemning anyone, but fortunately most Episcopal churches are really, really small. Uh, so not a lot of people are being infected. But but it's just, a, 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 by and large, an apostate group of, of believers. And um, um, I, would, I would caution people uh, to, to find something else, um, virtually anything else, uh, because you're simply not going to see a commitment to the Word of God. You're not going to see a commitment to truth. And when you're in a, a, um, a group of people that... Um, are ordaining homosexuals, ordaining women uh, to roles that their very lifestyle forbids them to occupy. Uh, it is unhealthy to the core. 
So, uh, Anonymous, you were experiencing the discernment of the Holy Spirit. Listen um, and uh, and avoid them. Find a church that teaches the Bible. Um, find a church that's full of life, a church that's full of the Holy Spirit. And if you went to a conference after having been invited by a friend, uh, you might love that friend enough to tell them why you were uncomfortable and and what you found out about this uh, about this church. It's simply not a healthy place to be. Here is a question that comes in from Margaret from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor Ron. I fear that I'm asking an obvious question, but I heard a call on Friday's show from a man asking about common law marriage. I think I heard you say that you believed that he was a believer or a Christian. Otherwise, he would not have been prodded by the Holy Spirit to talk about the subject. If you remember, Margaret, they've been living together for 10 years. So this is a new development. And what I said was that sounded like the Holy Spirit touching his heart. I was very encouraged by the call. Um, you know, he, he, he didn't really, um, wasn't really thrilled about having uh, to be married. Um, but um, again, see, that's just the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me continue your question. You said that if he lived this way, he would not receive the kingdom of heaven. Is there a difference between receiving the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God and going to heaven? If this is an ignorant question, please answer me back with an email. P.S. I agreed with your response and I'm glad Jesus didn't return for his church in the 80s. Margaret, me too. I would have been left behind for sure. Um, Margaret, no, there is no difference between the kingdom of heaven and going to heaven. That's the idea. And when I quoted 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and Galatians chapter 5, uh, what I said was, uh, reading the passage, people who live like this, and living in fornication is one of those in the list, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's not a, yeah, I think you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is prodding you, uh, but if you don't straighten up, you're not going to go to heaven. It wasn't that kind of thing at all. I think the idea that I tried to communicate effectively was that the choices you make, in this case, this man who called, the choice he makes is going to identify who he really is. If he is, as I suggested, a, a real believer, and he's new in his faith, he indicated that, if he is a real believer, then the Holy Spirit is going to take him by the hand and lead him to doing the right things. If he's just experiencing guilt, I, I don't know what would drive someone to call, but uh, if his choice is, well, I'm going to continue to disobey God, then I would tell him that you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You think you're a believer, you made a profession of faith, but it's time for you to live what you profess. And if we profess to belong to Jesus, if we call him Lord, isn't it true we got to do what he tells us to do? You know, off the subject, but, but tangentially related, um, one of the things, if you young people, especially young men, when they look at somebody my age, they have a habit of calling us calling us boss. Uh, we go to some places, and there's, these are nice people, so I'm not being critical of them. But uh, uh, they'll see me and say, hi, boss. And, and I'll tell them, I'm not your boss. You're not going to do what I tell you to do. You don't work for me. And they, they know my name, so I ask them to use my name. Um, well, the same thing is true. We call Jesus boss. But if we don't do what he says, then he's really not our boss at all, is he? So when I said wouldn't inherit the kingdom of God, I meant that the people who make willful, ongoing decisions to rebel against the, the, the word of God, the will of God, um, then they're going to end up being identified as not being believers at all. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and then you don't do the things I tell you to do? So, uh, Margaret, those are very important distinctions. Again, I'm not making any judgment. In fact, I always use that as an opportunity to challenge. Um, it sounds like you're a Christian. It sounds like the Holy Spirit is convicting you. So how about you prove you're a Christian by doing what is right? And that's very, very important. One of the comments here, Margaret, um, many, many years ago, um, I ran into a man who uh, was a believer, 
um, when I was going to Bible college, he was always giving me money to go buy him hats and Christian t-shirts and all of that. And I was doing it. You know, he was just a brother in the Lord, and I just thought that's great. So I, I'd come on weekends and bring him some new stuff. Well, one day when I was there, um, a girl he was living with was there. And it became clear listening to the conversation. This guy's name was Mike. It became clear listening to the conversation that they weren't married. So as soon as she left, I said, Mike, you're living with her and you're not married? You call yourself a Christian? How can you do that? And he started hemming and hawing. And I told him, I said, look, I've been bringing you a bunch of stuff with Jesus' name on it. Hats, Calvary Chapel, Bible College hats. And, and I said, you know what? If, if you're going to keep living with her, I want you to give those things back. Because that's false advertising. Now, we had a good relationship. He wasn't mad at me. But he was convicted. And I looked at him and I said, how long have you been together? He said, seven years. And I said, and you're telling me that for seven years you've called yourself a Christian and haven't felt any guilt about what you're doing being wrong. And he looked at me and he said, as dejected as he could have been, he said, I feel guilty every single day. I feel terrible because I know what I'm doing is wrong. I just don't know how to fix it. And what I told him to do was get right with God personally, then go to this girl and marry her. And if she doesn't want to marry you, then separate. And it took him a little bit of time. I was here, I think, in Texas. This is before we even got to Texas. I was here in Texas for maybe three years and I got this wonderful email from him that said, Pastor Ron, I wanted to let you know that I finally married this girl. She's pregnant again with the baby and we're serving God together. We're going to church together and life is wonderful. And I just thought, see Jesus, all of that because the Spirit of God was was convicting his heart that what he was doing was wrong and real Christians, Margaret, respond to that conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's how important it is. Good question. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls. Oh, we got a call? Okay. We got Jack from Lockhart, Texas, on line one. Jack, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yeah, I called last week about the common law marriage, and I probably should have given you a little more background. It's it's me that's wanting to marry her, and she's the one uh-huh. that's telling me she doesn't doesn't need the piece of paper. And um, I think I think you're right. I think which I want to let you know that when you called me a Christian, it just I'm on the fence about this whole thing. And when you said that about me, I just it felt wonderful. It really did. And and um, uh, I just. You know, I do feel guilty about a relationship that we're not married, and, I, and I'm afraid that if I if I get deeper into this uh, Christianity, that that, she, that we're, she's not going to want to come along with it, and that's part of my yeah. that's part of my scare. So that's kind of why I asked you that question, and and it's really weird. We went to the barbecue place, and I seen Calvary there, and I'm like, oh, I bet that's one of his his uh, <laughs> uh, places there. And, and yeah, it is. my question there. So, I mean, I stumbled across the radio station driving to work one day, and I swear I had it on 510, and next thing I know, I turn on, it's on on 630. So, <laughs> you know, somehow, somewhere is working in my life. And, you know, like I said, I'm just, I'm really on the fence about this. My question I got today is, I want to go get a Bible. What is the best Bible you think I should be get by to read for a new new uh, believer? Okay, for a new believer, Jack, I would go buy a New Living Translation. Um, If you can find a 1984 edition of the NIV, I would tell you to buy that, but you're probably not going to find one of those without a deep search. So uh, I would get the New Living Translation. I think that will be really workable for you. It's a solid translation. It is the Bible that Paula is using right now, and I think that would bless you abundantly. Can I I take a minute, Jack, and and, and address the other issue you brought up? Okay, absolutely. I think this is so important. Um, Jesus said to his disciples, he was talking to a larger crowd, but his main audience was his disciples, 
And he said that, that he's come to divide families. Now, I know you obviously love this woman, but um, Jesus is asking you to make a choice. Do you love her more or do you love me more? And here's what's going to happen. E- even if initially she says, well, I just don't want to dig into this Christianity thing and I, I, just, I just don't believe, you're going to be able to show her what your relationship to God means to you. You're going to show her that as much as you love her, that you love Jesus more, and the Holy Spirit is going to use that. But see, when we compromise our relationship with Christ, well, then the people that we are with, the people that we want to win to Christ, well, the truth then is that they understand that your your relationship isn't as important as, as you claim it to be. So this is where you you have to really start exercising faith. You take a stand for Jesus. You trust that he, no matter what her reaction is, if she gets mad, if she says, no, I'm out of here, uh, you trust God that he's going to work all things together for your good because you want to do the will of God. And your, your, your good may be a life with her together in Christ. Uh, your good may turn out to be um, breaking this relationship because this relationship is going to keep you from Christ. But here's the thing you need to understand. As you said, as I start digging into this thing with Christ, um, the minute you gave your heart to Jesus, Jack, you were all in. The minute you gave your heart to Jesus, you were all in. There's no holding back. And, And every delay, every compromise is just going to make you more and more miserable because the lover of your soul, the one that you gave control of your eternal destiny to, he is going to be calling you to himself and his voice is going to be unmistakable. So go to a church, get a Bible, stand with and for Jesus, and then you will be amazed at the work that he's going to do. And it's real simple. And, and, and I'll even give you an approach that I would take with, with, with uh, the woman that you're living with. Um, she says, just a piece of paper. Uh, I would say, you know what? I love you so much that I can't bear to think of heaven without you. And right now, right now, if we were to die, you wouldn't go to heaven. And I love Jesus so much that I want you to love him. But I've got to tell you what's right. I've got to tell you what he says. And this is the way it's going to be for my life from from now on. I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm begging you to follow me as I follow Christ. And I promise you, Jack, the Holy Spirit will do an amazing work in and through your witness. But she's got to see that he really is important to you, important enough even to leave a relationship, if that's the case. All right, I have one more question I want to ask you about it, then. Um, My son's gay. Is that going to be, I just, and I love him to death. You know, and I've tried to tell him what he's doing is wrong, but he won't listen to me. I mean, so, I mean, I mean, what's going to I guess I got no choice, huh? I either yeah. got to go, well, I'm going to do is I'm going to go talk to that guy you recommended over there in Calvary and in, in Lockhart. Because, yeah. I mean, I think I got a lot more questions than we can do on a couple of minutes on the telephone. Yeah. Jack, uh, uh, keep listening to the radio. I'm going to I'm going to address the thing with your husband. Uh, it's Calvary Chapel. Um Anchor of Hope. Uh, his name is Pastor Pete. And tell him that you okay. talked to me on the radio and I referred you, okay? All right, thank you. Thank you, Jack. Keep listening because I'm going to address the deal with your son. You said, can I keep just loving him to death? I, I want you to love him to life. And since he already knows where you stand, what you're doing is wrong, then you've got to take the same stand with him. Now, that doesn't mean you put him out of your life. What it means is that you don't accept his behavior. Now, if your son uh, wants to bring his partner uh, to your house and stay there and they're going to have sex in the bedroom, well, you're going you're to say, no, I can't do that. This house belongs to Jesus. I love you. Same, same approach. I can't imagine heaven without you. But I've met Jesus Christ. I know the truth. I know what's right. And I want you to know him. And while that may feel like it's not loving, 
that's exactly what it is. It's the most loving thing you can do. You don't want him to spend eternity in hell. I've got two grown sons, 46, almost 47, and uh, and uh, 44, almost 45. And uh, I, one of them saved, the other one's not. They know I want him in heaven. They know they're going to hear about Jesus from me. I'm not preaching to them. That's long ago. But they know who I am. They know what I stand for. And they've watched the power of God in my life over these many, many years. And they know he's real. They are without excuse. And what you want to do is let your son be without excuse. So you can't pretend like his relationship is okay. You can't condone immoral behavior in your home. Um, I would go one step farther and say, if invited to their home, if they live together, um, you, you, you couldn't go there and act like everything is okay. Because your stand for Jesus has to be consistent with the people in your lives. And you know what the best thing about this whole thing is, Jack? Because you have changed so much just in the short time that you've been um, dealing with Jesus coming into your heart. They're going to notice every change that they see in you. The old Jack is different. They're gonna, they, they can't help but to notice it. They're going to see that the, the, there's a joy and there's a hope that you have in your life that didn't exist before. And the more they see your consistency, the, the more they're exposed to your joy, well, the greater your impact on them is going to be. Is that a guarantee they'll all get saved? No, it's not. But here's the thing, if they don't get saved, it won't be your fault. So no compromise. Again, don't preach at them. Don't condemn them. Just tell them that this is the way it has to be. I love you and I want you in heaven. And somebody has to say this is right or this is wrong. And that's what I'm going to do and I'm going to do that for Jesus. And then challenge them. Watch your life because they're going to see you change. Great, great question, Jack. Thank you for calling, especially on the heels of, of Margaret's question. That was wonderful. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Uh, here is a question from our email inbox. This one is from Debbie. Do I have a call? Okay. This one is from Debbie. She says, I'm confused. I've been trying to find a good timeline for who was king during the Old Testament times, and I can't seem to find one. I'm laughing with you, Debbie, not at you. In my Bible, the introductions have dates such as 11th century B.C. and the like. I'm looking for the year. Can you help me? When was David king? And at what, and at what is the, that time Israel became divided. Was it during Solomon's reign? Please let me know if I'm wrong. Uh, she says, thank you, love your sister in Jesus. Debbie, I appreciate that very, very much. Um, uh, I'll, I'll answer the other questions tomorrow. Uh, the years of David's king. Let me just say that, that, that Israel was divided after Solomon's death. His son Rehoboam. David was a terrible dad. Solomon was a terrible dad. Uh, his son Rehoboam was so bad that he was the cause of Israel being divided uh, into two separate kingdoms, the north and the south. So that's when uh, Israel was divided. And of course, those that went to the north, they got caught up in, in idolatry and idol worship and um, pagan rituals and all kinds of things. And of course, they paid for it, um, leading ultimately to the, uh, the, the invasion of the Assyrians. Uh, let me suggest this. Now, Debbie, I was laughing because um, reading the, 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 all the Jewish names, and you read the kings of this, and, and, and you're trying to put them together with the prophets who were prophesying during those times, uh, it's hard to keep all the names straight. I once read a book called The Last Mafioso many, many years ago, and I kept getting Italian names. I couldn't remember who was who. Well, it's exactly the same way as you're looking at the names of the kings. So let me suggest two things. One, um, Read repetitiously. Read First and Second Kings and, and First and Second Chronicles and read them in conjunction with the prophets who were prophesying at the time. For instance, at the beginning of the prophets, you'll see Isaiah prophesied during the time and it will list the kings. And that will give you which prophet and which set of kings went away. And eventually, you'll get to know this. The second suggestion is a little bit easier. It's sort of like having a cheat sheet. Um, 
But there are chronological Bibles out there. And if you will get a chronological Bible, I don't know if you can, if, if there's one online that's free, but you get a chronological Bible, it will be written to you in terms of the dates that they're coming. Um, we know that Isaiah started um, uh, prophesying in, in, in the 7th century B.C. Um, um, he was after David. Um, David, the first king, and then you follow him down, and you can make those connections. But a, a timeline found in the chronological Bibles will help you very, very much. That information is available uh, online. All you have to do is Google uh, David's uh, date of birth or David's birth year and his death year. Um, David was king uh, in about the, the, the 900s B.C. Um, Israel was split at about 930 B.C. Um, remember, they're counting down. And so uh, you can find that information. There's a lot of stuff out there. And you're right, it is confusing in the Bible. But once you get it, it's so important. We've been studying on Wednesday nights here at Calvary Chapel uh, the prophecy of Isaiah. And he prophesied for, for 50 years. Uh, Jeremiah, uh, another Old Testament prophet, prophesied for more than 40 years. And they outlived a bunch of the kings that were coming. So uh, good information, Debbie. And, and uh, I'll get more information for you on this later. Thank you very, very much. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate you putting up with my voice today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I would appreciate some prayers. I got a Bible study to do on Wednesday as well. God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing, at AM 630 The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.